If you want to open your Bibles, please do so at uh, 1 Peter chapter 2. We're going to discuss verses 18 to 21 this morning, following on on the series that is my pleasure to present to you from the first letter that Peter wrote to the church that we have recorded in our Bibles. So just a quick prayer before we jump into the text. Father, we want to confess again that we have to rely on your help. Our minds wander so easily, we so easily think to what must happen the rest of today and we may be concerned about what is happening in our homes and with our jobs and in our bank accounts, so I just pray that you'll help us, help me as I preach, to be clear and to say the words you want me to say in the way that you want me to say them. And please use your perfect filter to make your people hear what you want them to hear. Amen. First Peter 2. From verse 18, servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing, when, mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if, when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But... If when you do good and suffer for it, you endure. This is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. How many of you have worked in a situation where your boss did not appreciate you? Only a few. Liars, more of you. Okay, I see hesitant hands going up. Well, I'm, I was confronted this week uh, as I prepared the last bit on this sermon because I work for a good and gentle boss. So I, I had to work through my thought patterns to decide whether this actually applies to me. And uh, the first hour or so, I was very hypocritical and thought, now, today is a lesson where I can point my fingers at you who are ungrateful for the work that you have and who have uh, bosses that are not so pleasant and I can teach you something that you have to change. But as I investigated the text, I found that even me who work in an environment and for bosses, you are all my bosses, who are gentle and kind. But the 16th of August, 1988, is fixed in my memory. It was a Tuesday. My boss threatened to fire me on that day. Do you want to hear the story? Good. I was going to tell it anyway. So that day, I walked, uh, well, five days before that, the previous Thursday, I walked into a client's office and I walked down the corridor. And as I walked past this specific office, this lovely melodious voice called out my name. And uh, I stopped and I started chatting. And the one thing led to uh, me almost being fired a couple of days later because from the Thursday to the Tuesday morning at 10 o'clock when my boss came and threatened me, I was useless. I, I couldn't focus on my work. I did nothing at work. So my boss came to me and he said, you have three options. One, you phone her now. Two, I phone her now. Or three, I fire you. So I said, that's fine, I'll phone her. He said, no, 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 now. So I phoned her. And uh, a couple of months later, I married her. 
neti. So not always bad when your boss threatens you with firing you. Sometimes it's good. That was a good boss. I've also worked for other bosses who were not that good, so I can still remember those circumstances. So my question to you today is the question I had to ask myself is, are these verses for you? Well, it is because not only you may think, well, it's not for me because I don't work for a boss. I have my own company. Or I don't have work at the moment. I'm not getting paid for anything that I do. Or you may be a child in your house and you say, well, you know, I'm not close to working, so I don't have to listen now. I can relax. No, not yet, children. You have to wait. You'll be wrong if you say that. So as I thought, I then had to look at the, the evidence we have before us. So the question ultimately we want to answer is not necessarily, do I have a good boss or a bad boss? Because the text deals with both, both, and it gives exactly the same answer to those. And the answer is we have to look at our attitude as we are servants. It starts with servant. So you may absolutely hate your job, in which case there's more benefit for you today than for the rest of us who are happy with the work that we're doing. And for those of you who think that you don't have a job, only because you don't get paid, just think again. And those of you who think that you have a good job, also think again. Because at some point, it turns bad. From a human point of view, obviously. So, in a very real sense, we can say, there's no such thing as a good job. Hence the title of this morning's sermon, How to be good at a bad job. Only bad jobs. Some are better than others, but they're all bad because we live in a sin-cursed world, right? So three factors to motivate us to be good at a bad job. First one, the rationale of being good at a bad job. The second one, the reason for being good at a bad job. And thirdly, the result of being good at a bad job. So like always, even in 2022, let's start with point number one the rationale for being good or of being good at a bad job. And I know you'll see in the verse, it's actually the instruction. But I had to get an R in there for Keith's sake. We have, four, we have three R's. The rationale, the reason, and the result. But it's really the instruction. First Peter 2 verse 18. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. So what is God saying through Peter to us this morning? He helps us by understanding the first word, servants. If you look at the translation, it literally means house slave. House slave. Are any of you house slaves? Careful, husbands, careful. <laughs> you're on your own, right? I'm not going to defend you. But you, you're right. We are all, in a certain way, house slaves. So in the context of Peter's world and the church's world, they were literally, definitely house slaves, and most of them were treated very well. Most of them received food and uh, accommodation and sometimes even money. But the point is we can apply it to any situation whenever you have a task to complete and someone else decides how the task is to be completed. Then in the context of these verses, you are indeed a house slave, a servant. It includes, if you work on a contract, or full-time employment, or part-time employment. It includes voluntary tasks done for someone in need, or for an organization that needs to be maintained. 
It includes you if you serve the church on door duty, or coffee duty, or sound desk, or music team, or outreach, or hospitality, or flowers, or anything else. You are addressed in this verse if you do dishes, if you feed the dog, if you put clothes on, if you put it in the laundry basket, if you clean your room, if you lower the toilet seat, if you mow the lawn, if you kill the spider. And you'll understand the spider in a moment. Whenever you serve, you are a house slave. You're a servant. What must you do? Peter says you must be subject to your master. In each one of these situations where you are a servant, where you serve someone else at that person's opinion and behest. So to be subject means to willingly and consciously place your own will under the authority and will of someone else. I'll give you an example. I sometimes do the dishes at home. I do, ask Nettie. But I make the mistake, and I made the mistake, and that's where I was convicted this week, of doing the dishes for her sake. So I do the dishes so that she will be happy. I'm her house slave at that point. Who decides whether the dishes were done properly? She does. Ultimately, she's the owner of the task, and she delegates that task to me sometimes. Why? Why can't I do the dishes the way I want to do it? Well, if you read on, it says, servants be subject to your masters with all respect. So out of respect for the owner of the task, the task needs to be done in the way that that person wants it done. I'm forever working out better processes in my head. When I pack the dishwasher, because that's also, I delegate my task sometimes to the dishwasher, I always work out, you know, where can I put the spoons so they don't touch one another? And, and if Nettie packs it, I say, can't you see this? It's so logical. Forever busy with that. I have to stop. Because that is not with all respect to Nettie's task. What is your attitude then? And what should your attitude be while doing the dishes? And by the way, doing the dishes, you can replace that with any task that you find interesting or difficult or challenging. Doing the dishes is just an, in the place of that, an illustration. It'll just take too long if we have to list everything, so just replace it in your mind. What is your attitude to be while you do the dishes? It must be with respect to the owner of the task. How would the early Christian, Christians understand that? It helps us to look at the word, the Greek word for respect, with respect, is the word phobos. We get the word phobia from that, mostly translated in the Bible as fear. So I should, I should stand there trembling while I do the dishes. Not really, so I don't have to. But it refers to a reverential fear of upsetting the other person, removing any possible harm that can come in the situation or in the relationship. That's why killing the spider is important for me to do as a servant to Nettie, because she has a rachna phobia a fear of spiders. She has the uncanny ability to walk into a six-story building and to tell you that on the second floor, the third room from the left, there's a spider. And it must be killed. So when you wash the dishes with respect, reverential fear, 
so as to remove any criticism or negative comment that may or may not come from the dining room. That is the right attitude to have. I hope you get the picture. But I hear you say, well, you don't understand my circumstances. You don't understand the authority that I'm under. You don't understand my boss. It's a very good point. So if you are saying that your boss is unfair, if you are saying that the owner of the tasks is unfair, then you are, you are overworked and you are underpaid. Your boss, boss is unjust. And for the children in the, in the church today, don't put up your hands. Don't, don't nudge parents. Don't change your facial expression at all for what I'm going to say now. Your parents are unjust, right? Don't say anything. What do they expect? Unjust things, unfair things. They expect you to keep your room clean. They, they limit your online gaming time. They even put parental controls on your devices. I know, because I did it. How unfair, you say? Well, it's good if you think they're unfair, because First Peter 2 verse 18 addresses that. It says, servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle ones, but also to the unjust. So there you have the rationale. You have the instruction. It's clear. No excuse. Whenever you do a piece of work for someone else, you do it with respect, even if the owner of the task is unjust. There's no but. Why? Why in the world would you do that? Why is Peter saying we must, must we just let people walk all over us? Good question, because that's our next point. What is the reason for being good at a bad job? First Peter 2 verse 19. For this is a gracious thing when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. I love the way that the New American Standard translates some of the words. It reads as follows, verse 19 again. For this finds favor. If for the sake of conscience toward God, a person bears up under sorrows when suffering unjustly. So to be good at a job always or mostly finds favor. If you do a good job, people will see it and you'll get rewarded some, somehow, most of the time. But to be good at a bad job finds favor with God and sometimes with man. So be good at your job and the owner of the task should be happy. Be good at a bad job and who is gracious? Who gives favor? God does. The second part of 1 Peter 2 verse 19 reads, When mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. So you're busy working and you, you do a good job according to your own estimation and you love what you're doing, but the boss is unfair and unjust and true to character, doesn't appreciate your effort and makes it known. You have all the reason to be unhappy. You have all the reason in the world to go and tell everyone and anyone who wants to listen about how unfair this boss is. And I've had many occasions where, while doing the dishes, Annette arrives and she checks the dishes and she wants to put them away, and she finds that one dish out of 20 where I didn't clean it properly. And then my mind went to a place where it shouldn't go, upset with my boss at that time for being unfair. But because I should be, and hopefully will be from now on in every situation, mindful of God, a mind full of God. Yeah, 
is, he says, a conscience toward God. For that reason, you trust God, even in that situation. And Peter reminds his readers at least two more times of this principle. Listen to 1 Peter 3 from verse 13. Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet, do it with gentleness and respect. Here we have the reason, more clearly explained in in these verses by Peter, the reason to be good at a bad job is to be ready to explain to any other workers who are hopeless why you have hope. Standing at the coffee machine, everyone moans about this well-known and uh, traditionally unfair boss. You don't. You find reason for the hope in that situation. We practiced a bit last time I preached. How can you find hope in any situation? It's there. You can find it. If you are mindful of God, if your mind is full of God, you will find reason to be hopeful. You will have reason to do a good job of a bad job. Remember what Jesus said about the reason for our work. You may remember in John chapter 6, we find Jesus feeding 5,000 people with a few fish and a couple of loaves of bread. And then he sent his disciples on a, a boat across the Lake of Galilee. And then he walks on the water and he arrives on the other side and there are more disciples there. And they say, how did this happen? You didn't get into the boat, but you got out of the boat. So this is amazing. You know? Do more things for us. Then Jesus says from verse 26 of John chapter six, truly, truly I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of loaves. Listen to this. Here's the reason. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. Dear friend, are you guilty? Yes, I am often of working for the food instead of for the provider of much more than food. What is your motivation for doing the dishes well? It must be that your work show the value of your God. And Paul, by the way, agrees with Peter on this topic. In Colossians 3, from verse 23, Paul writes to the church and he says, whatever you do, work heartily, as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done and there is no partiality. So just be careful that you don't do what I used to do, hopefully I used to do, that I would so love verse 25. Then whenever I see someone in authority do wrong to me, a wrongdoer, I say, Lord, here's a list. Here's a list of people that you can go and get. Go get the wrongdoers. No. That's a verse just to comfort us that it's not our problem not for us to go after the wrongdoers. It is for us to work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. What is the rationale? What is the instruction to be good at a bad job? What is the reason? When you are good at a bad job, it shows 
the value of your God. It doesn't firstly show how amazing your mind works in working out better processes. It doesn't show the skill that you have in doing your job. It doesn't even comment on the training that you've had and the experience that you've had. It shows the value of your God. If you are bad at a bad job, or even bad at a good job, what does it say about the value of your God? Our motivation, our reason for enduring, our reason for doing our best in any circumstances where we do a task for someone else or on behalf of someone else is so that we show the value of our God, that we show the hope that we have in us in a hopeless situation. You should actually, if you think about the next job, find out if the boss is bad. If he is, you go there because you can be a better witness there. Something to think about. Number three, the result. So what can we expect from this? If I am now good at a bad job and I'm reminded of the reason, what can I expect? 1 Peter 2, verse 20 and 21. For what credit, what benefit, what, what do I get back? What credit is it if, when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if, when you do good and suffer for it, you endure? This is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his footsteps. So the first result of being good at a bad job is that you can investigate the the outcome and you can investigate your own heart's desire. You can be more sensitive to your own sin. You can identify it. Back to the dishes. So if I now did the dishes and there's one spot that I didn't uh, finish and it shows me that I did that, my reaction will show the sin in my heart. It'll show that I'm now resentful because she picked up on this one little flaw instead of being very grateful and baking at least three milk tarts for the fact that I did five dishes. Sin in my heart, that's a benefit. Remember, we want to become more like Christ, right? Whenever you don't get what you think you deserve from your work, ask, is this unhappiness that I have? Is this resentment that I feel? Is this because of sin in my heart? The answer is probably yes. And that probably means you have to change something in your attitude. Don't have to change your boss. Don't have to change the one in authority. Change your attitude. For what credit is it if, when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? No credit. If you were bad at a bad job, don't expect any benefit. Don't expect any credit. What credit is it? Answer, no credit. No benefit. But... If you are good at a bad job and if you suffer for it and you endure, you receive favor from God. The NSB says that. Uh, 1 Peter 2 verse 20. For what credit is there if when you sin and are harshly treated, you endure it with patience? But if if when you do what is right and suffer for it, you patiently endure it, this finds favor with God. May that be true for each one of us. May we find favor from God in every task that we do. And maybe we need more motivation. Well, here it is. So if I would ask you, Christian, who of you don't want to become more like Christ? 
I won't see any hands. If I would ask, who of you would want to be more like Christ? If you are truly a Christian, that is your heart's desire, day by day. So to conclude, here's our best motivation for being good at a bad job. 1 Peter 2 verse 21. The example of Jesus. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. Was Jesus good at his job? Definitely. Did he receive the praise or the payment for his work? Not from a human point of view. First Peter 2, verse 22 and 23, he committed no sin. Neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. And Peter gives us advice, advice also in First Peter 3, verse 9. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless, for to this you, are, you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. How could you apply this principle? In any task where you are required to do that task under the authority or opinion or responsibility of someone else, do your best in order to gain favor from God, irrespective of the response from any other person. When you work for a boss, when you do chores at home, when you volunteer time and effort to the church, when you do homework or study, when you help someone in need. The rationale is clear. The reason is God honoring. The result is literally out of this world. How about for the rest of this day and week, Let's make it the rest of 2022. How about, how about we be more like Jesus? Father, what a simple instruction to, to be mindful of the blessing that we can receive in just obeying this simple command, but a difficult command. So we pray that you'll help us to, whenever we do any task, whether we work for an income, whether we volunteer our time, or whether we just do simple tasks at home, that our attitude will be one that will honor you, and that we will look forward to that day when we will receive even more blessings from you. We thank you again for the Lord Jesus Christ. And I do pray, if anyone here today do not know him as his or her personal Lord and Savior, Lord, make today that day so that none of us will leave here without the sure promise of those blessings in everlasting life. Amen.